0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Since there's always been earthquakes, since there's always been famines, since there's always been wars, there there wouldn't be any need for Jesus to mention those things if there's not some connection between them and the end times. The indication, I believe, that Jesus is pointing at is that the closer we get to the end, The greater the increase, the greater the prominence of these events that we'll begin to see.
0: 2012, everyone from Nostradamus to the Mayan calendar are pointing to this year as the last. Certainly we are living in uncertain times, but are these the end times?
1: The time is drawing to an end. We're close. I'm telling you, we're close. And we need to hear this.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. If you're joining us for the first time, we're grateful that you've joined us. We just started a brand new series last week entitled 2012 The Days After Tomorrow. It's a series based on Jesus' teaching that is known as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Today, we're beginning to look at some of the signs that Jesus said would characterize the last days, and one of those are false Christs. As you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, there are 20 major religions recognized in the world today besides all of the other cults and philosophies. The result is that billions of people are being spiritually deceived.
1: And that strategy, can I say this, that strategy has been particularly effective in the postmodern culture that you and I live in in America, particularly effective here.
0: So, what's our responsibility as Christians? Is there anything we can or should do? Pastor Clay is going to address those very questions and others today on Crosswalk. I lead you to the
1: cross. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, "Do you not see all these things?" Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and You will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. This is the second week of our series entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow. It's a series based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew's Matthew chapters 24 and 25. It is teaching, as we talked about last week, it is teaching that is birthed out of a series of questions that Jesus' disciples ask him. Those three questions, which we read a moment ago, look like this. They wanted to know when. When will these things take place? Specifically, when will the destruction of the temple take place that Jesus had talked about first in the tail end of Matthew 23 that we talked about last week, and then in that prediction that no stone will be left upon another. When will that take place? We discussed the answer to that question last week found in Luke chapter 21, but that event took place in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus said it would happen. The temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed when the Roman general Titus sacked the city. So he answered the first question. second question they asked about, the sign of Christ's return. We will get to that, I promise, farther on in Matthew chapter 24. The third question they asked was about the sign of the end of the age. As I said last week, there is obviously some connection between the second and the third question, but there is a difference between the two, or Matthew seems to be drawing out a difference between those two questions, and it is that question that Jesus begins to deal with first, and then we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, Cindy, my wife, has been having some back trouble this week, uh, just, some, just a lot of pain, and so one day, uh, out of the blue, our oldest grandson, Wyatt, who is uh, about four and a half, said, Nani, I know why your back hurts, and she said, you do? Why does it hurt, Wyatt? He said, because you're old. <laughs> wow. Well, like my grandson, Wyatt, I'm going to give it to you straight today. And some of it may not be that comfortable to take. Some of it may not be that pleasant to hear. But you and I need to hear it, ladies and gentlemen. We have to hear it. Because the time is drawing to an end. We're close. I'm telling you, we're close. And we need to hear this. But I want it to be profitable. I, I want you to get something out of this. I want you to to, to even though it may be hard at some of this to hear, and I don't. I, I want you to get something out of this. I, want, I don't want it to be like the guy's on the way to pick up Bill this morning to get the truck and uh, dro- d- driving down the street. And here's a guy out. Clearly, he's out exercising, right? It's 32 degrees, 31, 32 degrees. It's freezing cold. But he's got his jogging suit on. He's got his tennis shoes on, you know, and he's going down the street. And I thought, well, man, that guy's, that guy's hardcore. And then as I got up to him, I saw uh, while he's going, he's got a, he's got a cigarette. He's, he's smoking. And, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't really think that's going to do any good to you. I mean, I just so one cancel the other? I, I, I really want this to, to do some, some good. I was noticing, uh, I'd never noticed it before, but in, in the hallway out there, um, there's a, a, an emergency defibrillation uh, box. And well, that's obviously great if any of our heart stops in here, um, except there's no defibrillator in the box. So I, I don't know what that's... <laughs> I really want this to be profitable. For you, but it's not always going to be easy to look at. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Jesus begins to lay out some uh, things that we can look for in the end times. Some things that will point towards the end times. Now, let me say this because some people would think this. Well, you know, there have always been those things that Jesus describes in there. Those things have kind of always been there. That's true which is why it would be pointless for Jesus to mention them if there's not some connection between them and the end times. There'd be no need, since there's always been earthquakes, since there's always been famines, since there's always been wars, there wouldn't be any need for Jesus to mention those things if there's not some connection between them and the end times. The indication, I believe, that Jesus is pointing at is that the closer we get to the end, the greater the increase, the greater the prominence of these events that, that we'll begin to see more and more and more of them as it transpires. As we get closer to the end, we'll see more. So, Jesus starts out, let me give you this, this first idea today, and really it's kind of the only one that we'll get to, but he starts with this idea that one of the indicators, the end times, deceive spiritually. Matthew chapter 24, again, verse 4 and 5 says this, Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. I think I mentioned this last week, but the word Christ is a Greek word. Now we've We've translated over into English, but the word Christ is a Greek word that is the same word as the Hebrew word for Messiah, and it means anointed one, it means savior, it means deliverer. In modern vernacular, you could say the one who, who has the answer, the one who's, who's got to pull it all together, the one that can, can get it done. And Jesus said, in the end times, there'll be many of these false Christs who will come along. Many will come in my name. Not necessarily the name of Jesus, but many would come claiming that they are the Christ. Again, not necessarily Jesus Christ, although there have been some nut jobs who have even claimed that. But that there would be many who would come claiming that they are the answer. They are the Christ. They are the deliverer. They are the anointed one. They are the one who can, who can bring you uh, happiness and peace. They are the one that, that's the key to eternal life. They're the ones that are, they give you access to God. They are the ones that can get it done. And billions of people are being led astray by these false Christs. Now, somebody might say, well, now, wait a minute. Doesn't Christianity claim that it has the way? Doesn't Christianity claim that that it's the way that you gain access to God and that it's the way that you get to heaven? Isn't Christianity claiming that just like all the others are claiming that they are the answer, that they are the way? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I've, I've always said that if a person is genuinely seeking truth, first, pray and ask God. Even if you don't believe in God, if you're just searching for truth, pray and ask God, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you help me to know truth? Would you help me to know what is the right way to truth? I've always been a big believer that God will answer that prayer every time because He desires to draw people to Himself. But uh, if you're generally seeking truth, say, Well, God, what is the truth? Which one of these? There's so many of these. Which one of these is the right one? Ask God. And then examine the evidence. Examine the evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at the evidence. Examine the, the accuracy of the Bible. Examine its historical accuracy. Examine its prophetic accuracy. Examine Christianity. Put Christianity up against every other cult, religion, ism, philosophy in the world, and then choose. Now, I should say this. When I say choose, I don't mean that choosing Jesus is like... Choosing what kind of car you want to drive based on market research. No. God works in our heart, ladies and gentlemen. God draws us to Him as we recognize His working and we respond to that work. But Christianity is not holding a gun to anybody's head. Christianity's not holding a sword to anybody's throat and forcing them to be part of the, the Jesus movement. No. One of the bedrock principles of Christianity has always been that each person has to make an individual decision to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. No one can be forced into the kingdom of God. Nor should anybody try and force anybody into the kingdom of God. You have to choose. As Joshua said to the people of Israel, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, and whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choosing. It's making a choice. It's making a decision. But this, this, this uh, spiritual deception, this tool that Satan has used, has really been a very effective tool. I, I meant to say this earlier, I think, but according to there.net there are 20 recognized major religions in the world. Now, I don't know how they define 20. I'm sure a certain number of followers or or whatever else. 20 major religions in the world, besides all the other cults and isms and philosophies and and everything else that's out there. So it's really been a very effective tool of Satan. Listen, he couldn't stop the real Christ from coming. He couldn't stop the real Christ from paying for your sins and my sins. He couldn't stop the real Christ from rising from the dead. So what does he do? He pollutes the world with an with a almost innumerable number of false Christs presented through false religions and false philosophies and false isms all in an attempt to so confuse and muddy up the waters that, that nobody hardly knows what to believe anymore. And that strategy. Can I say this? That strategy has been particularly effective in the postmodern culture that you and I live in in America. Particularly effective here. In a, in a world where anything and everything is okay. If, if, if you want to believe in, in Islam, fine. If you want to believe in Buddhism, fine. If, if atheism is your cup of tea, great. If it's hinduism or judaism or pantheism or or scientology or 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 all of it great satan's mantra is believe in all believe in none just don't believe in the one don't bend your knee to the king of kings and lord of lords don't declare jesus christ as the one and only way to eternal life no don't don't do that um he got a little bit of controversy over this, but did anybody hear uh, CeeLo's version of John Lennon's song, Imagine, on New Year's Eve? Any y'all see some of that? Now, like I said, he got in a little trouble over it uh, because he changed John Lennon's words and, you know, there's people that worship John Lennon, uh, for that matter. But now Lennon's song, Imagine, is blasphemous enough, blasphemous enough, I mean, it's a blasphemous song. Because it encourages people to believe there's no heaven, believe there's no hell, and as the song goes, and no religion too. CeeLo changed the words, the lyrics on that line, from and no religion too to and all religions true. And then both Lenin's version and CeeLo's versions fit perfectly into Satan's master plan to deceive the world spiritually. We have to recognize. That there is spiritual deception, and it is growing, ladies and gentlemen. The closer we get to the end, the greater this cloud of spiritual deception grows over the earth. And billions and billions of people are living under that cloud. There are more people living on the world, in the world today without a relationship with Jesus than, than there have ever been. Ever. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? All we do, all we work at, all we, we try and be faithful to, all, all we, we give. And there are more lost people in the world today than ever before. So, here's the question. With all the spiritual deception, with all the people living in this, in this cloud of spiritual darkness, how are these people going to hear the truth? How is that darkness going to be penetrated? How is the light of the message of Jesus going to reach them? Are you ready for this? You and me. You and me. We're it. We're the ones. We're the front line. Those of us who have responded to the message of Jesus have been given the responsibility of taking the message of Jesus to those who have never heard it. It's up to us. That's why, if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say it one time or another, life is a mission trip. Because, ladies and gentlemen, people are in darkness. Our neighbors, many of our neighbors are in darkness. Many of our co-workers are in darkness. Many of our schoolmates are in darkness. Many of our family and friends are in darkness. Nations are in darkness. People groups are in darkness. They're living in spiritual deception. And you and I cannot stand On the shore with the life preserver in our hands while the world drowns in a sea of spiritual deception and not do something. That is unconscionable, ladies and gentlemen, that we would do nothing. We have to act because the end is near. And you also, while you may have heard me say life is a mission trip, you also need to hear me say that here on earth, the enemy... The spiritual enemy is not resting. And you and I dare not rest. We have to be engaged in this work of taking the message of Jesus to the nations. We have to do our part in trying to lift the spiritual deception off of people's lives. So, if the enemy's not resting, you and I can't rest. And that means... I'm sorry, that means we have to go more, we have to say more, we have to tell more, we have to give more than we've ever done before. We have to. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Dude, my schedule's already full, how do I do more? My checkbook's already empty, how do I give more? Well, let's deal with them one at a time. Let's start with the schedule. And I I don't pretend that this is a a cure-all, answer-all. I'm just just giving you something that, that I think might be helpful. Let me give you something, what I call the rule of X's, when it comes to our schedules. First, you and I need to examine our life and schedule. We need to take a hard and honest look at our schedule and see where we're spending our time. What does it go to? What is it accomplishing? Hey, folks, there are 168 hours in a week. Did you know that? You got 168 of them. Same as anybody else. Same as the millionaire. Same as the guy living sleeping on the street. All of us got 168 hours this week. How much of it is spent on work? How much of it is spent on school? How much of it is spent on our family? How much of it is spent on, on uh, leisure? How much of it is spent in front of the TV? How much of it is spent on the kingdom of God and his work? Now, there's no expectation that you and I quit our jobs. God wants us to earn a living. He wants us to spend time in our family. Education is certainly a good thing. But we need to examine our schedule and see in light of this commandment to take the gospel to the world, to the nations around us, in light of that, what does my schedule look like and is, and is it ref- a reflection of that? We need to examine our life and schedule. Second, we need an extreme approach to our life and schedule. As I said, nothing wrong with working a job. we got nothing wrong with going to school. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with spending time in our family. Recreation, leisure, all those kind of things are, are needed. But the truth is, Jesus seems to be pretty clear that there should be a priority for the kingdom of God. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. As some of you may recognize this as our theme verse for cross-culture church, but Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, herself. Uh-uh. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice the emphasis on daily participation in the work of the kingdom. Jesus also said this one. You Maybe you're familiar with this one. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first. His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things in context of Matthew 6, 33 are food and clothing and shelter and the necessities of life that, that we all need, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now again, there's no expectation on God's part that we sell all of our possessions, go move into a monastery, read the Bible 18 hours a day and... Sing Gregorian chants for the other six hours. But where is the priority in my life? What does that look like? What does my schedule look like? If there's no expectation necessarily that, I, I mean, I've got to move into a monastery, but yet clearly Jesus puts this, this priority on the kingdom of God. Uh, so so how, how, do, how, do I, how do I jive those two? Well, Ladies and gentlemen, the answer is an understanding that our time for the kingdom of God and our time for everything else in our life are not mutually exclusive. No, it, while I'm at work, while I'm at school, while I'm going to dinner at a restaurant, while I'm, I'm, I'm living with that idea that life is a mission trip and I'm actively seeking and thinking about God's kingdom purposes and how I fit into those and how he can even perhaps even use me with this waiter or this student that's sitting beside me at lunch, or the coworker in the next cubicle over. It's understanding that those two mesh together. That's how the kingdom of God stays a priority in my life, even while I'm doing all of those other things. So, we need to get an extreme look. There. Now, by the way, let me say this. It's extreme from our perspective. It's extreme from the world's perspective, but it's not extreme from God's perspective. Can I say that? Is that okay? I said some of this stuff is not easy to hear. But God doesn't make any secret of his expectations on the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. He doesn't hide it. It's not a bait and switch game. No, he says, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. You have to, in other words, an instrument. You've got to die to yourself if you want to follow me. That's, that's a pretty high expectation. And God doesn't try and hide it at any point. But it's, it's a high expectation. It's an extreme expectation from the world's perspective. You see... The world doesn't mind safe Christianity. Do you know what I mean by that? The world, and Satan for that matter, doesn't mind if we sit in our little pews and sing our little songs and never risk very little of anything for the kingdom of God. And Sadly, much of the Christian world has embraced that little idea. No, God has called us to be radical with our faith. He's called us to be extreme. And we need to look at our schedules in that way. Uh, third, we need to exclude some things from our life and schedule. Let me say again. Nothing wrong with working, school, family, all, all of those things. But there are some things in our life that may need to be excluded. Can I say that to you? Well, I just did, whether I can or not. Now, I'm not about to sit here and try to define for each one of you what those things are. But let me give you an example. Some of you know this. I've talked about it before. Come out of the past, Clay. Stop living in the past. But I used to be a top-ranked tennis player in the state of Florida. Some of you know that I was chasing a a top-ten state ranking in mixed doubles in the state of Florida. I wanted to be ranked in the top ten before I was 30 years of age. A goal which I achieved... Thank you very much. A goal which I achieved sixth, (coughs) sixth, excuse me, in the state of Florida, nothing wrong with tennis, is there? Okay, the shorts were a little high when I played, but other than that, nothing wrong with tennis, nothing wrong with chasing goals, nothing wrong with, with reaching particular ambitions and goals and things that you have, nothing wrong with those things unless they begin to interfere with the work of the kingdom, unless they interfere with your full potential for the work of the kingdom. And ladies and gentlemen, that's that's what's wrong. That's when it becomes wrong, when it begins to hinder my full potential in the work of the kingdom of God. And I had to walk away from it. There may be some things that need to be excluded from your life and your schedule, but you gotta, you gotta decide that. You gotta look at it honestly. You gotta examine it. You gotta, you gotta decide you're gonna get extreme about this, and there may be some things that need to be excluded. And then one more. Execute a plan for your life and schedule, okay? All right, I'm just going to say it. All the shoulda, coulda, and wouldas in the world aren't doing you or the kingdom of God any good. All the, yeah, I know I need to start. Oh, yeah, I am keep meaning to all the... Listen, at some point, we got to make up our mind. The kingdom of God is more important than anything else in my life. The kingdom of God is, is more important than anything I could possibly achieve. Listen, that, that tennis thing... Somewhere in, my, in a closet, somewhere in a magazine, in a closet, in my house, is a page on that magazine that has a listing of the top ten uh, ranked teams in the state. And somewhere on there, my name is on there. But that doesn't even begin to compare with what it's like, ladies and gentlemen, to change an eternal destiny. It, it, it can't even be spoken in the same breath you got to execute. you got to do something. Sooner or later, you got to stop making excuses and begin to execute. Last year, I got a motorcycle. Most of y'all probably know that. Some of you know that this was about a four-year odyssey for me. Of looking and dreaming and researching and looking at all these different motorcycles and deciding, uh, you know, what this or what color, what brand, what, what this, what that. I mean, this went on for years. This went on. One day, my Son Todd was over at the house, and he's a motorcycle guy. He got, had motorcycles and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and so he came in, and I wanted to show him a picture of the, whatever the latest motorcycle was that, I was that I was looking at and that I was excited about. And, uh, and so I said, Todd, come here. I said, What do you think about this motor? What do you think about this one? Which I had done many times before. And he looked, at, he looked at me and he said, Dad, it's time to pull the trigger or put the gun down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to pull the trigger on making the kingdom of God the priority of our life. We've got to say, I don't know how long my life is going to be, but starting today in 2012, I'm going to execute a plan for my life. I'm going to ask God what needs to be excluded. If anything does, I'm going to seek out wisdom if I need to do that, but I'm going to establish some, some priorities in my life in the kingdom of God. Wow, I've got to close, but I've got to say a little bit more to you. We're going to be a little late today. I've got to say it. Okay, so there you go. That answers the question. At least, at least it's something to make you think about that question. My, my schedule's already full. How do I do more? As to the second question, my checkbook's already empty. How do I give more? That's the one, quite honestly, that I don't like to talk about. But we need to. Let me say, as far as the ministries of Cross Culture Church are concerned, ladies and gentlemen... All that's necessary is for you and I to do what God has asked each one of us to do as his followers, to give a tithe of our income. If we do that, we'll be fine as a church. God makes provision for his people when his people are simply faithful to give back what he's asked us to give back. But let me share with you an idea in closing real quickly that that we're excited about uh, because we see the potential of what can happen as a result of it. And this is in relation to that Lottie Moon Christmas offering that I mentioned earlier. Uh, as, as, uh, as some of you know, it's taken up each year by churches all over America. It's named in honor of Lottie Moon, who was a pioneer missionary to China. I know you've heard this, some of you have heard this before. It's taken up, I believe, at Christmas time because she died on Christmas Eve, essentially of starvation, having given all of her food away during a severe famine in China. I think it's also taken up at Christmas time because it's just the season of giving and, and and it celebrates the greatest gift ever given, God's Son, to us. But practically speaking, it's a tough time of year to take up an offering. I mean you responded in an amazing way this year, but let's be honest, it's a tough time of year to take up an offering. We're we're buying gifts, we're buying presents for family and, and friends. Many people are traveling, you're cooking, and there, there's all kinds of expenses. And money, money's tight all the time, but it seems like at Christmas time it's particularly tight. So it's difficult for people to give. And oftentimes, many people say, I'd love to give more, but we just don't think we have the financial resources to do so. Remember, we've got we to gotta say more, go more, do more, and give more. Because the enemy is not sleeping. He's not resting. So we've come up with something that we call that we want to call here at Cross-Culture Church, 12-12-12. This is specifically, now this has nothing to do with my tithe for the ministries of this church, but specifically in regards to this international mission offering that, ta- that we take up each year, we have taken up traditionally each year at Christmas, here's what we want to, ch- want to ask you to do, to consider doing. Each family, and a family can be one person, a family can be a couple, a family can be, you know, with 67 kids, whatever the case may be. But each family that will take this up would give $12 a month for 12 months in 2012. See how that works? Clever, right? 12, 12, 12. $12 a month for 12 months in 2012. Each family that does that, each person, individual, whatever the case may be, at the end of 2012 will have given $144, if my math is correct, $144. To the international mission offering. Which I can tell you this, and I have no idea what people give anytime here at Crossroads. I don't look at any giving records. But I can tell you this, based on national averages, $144 per family is far, far above the average giving. Now, everybody knows I don't like talking a lot about money. I don't do it a lot. But when it's necessary, I bring it out. I don't apologize for bringing you this challenge at this time of year to start doing this each month. Here's why. First, it'll be less financial strain. I think this is a win-win for everybody. Less financial strain on each family at Christmas time because we will have already given our gift in smaller amounts throughout the course of the year. You're going to be given it each month systematically, and so it's less strain come Christmas time. Does that make sense? Say that makes sense. All right, you're all committed. Number two, most of us will be able to give more than we could have given at one time. I mean, that's just practically speaking. I mean, ba- again, based on statistics, most people. Can't give or don't feel like they can give $144 right at Christmas time. Three, more dollars will be available to place more missionaries all over the world working with us to expose the darkness of spiritual deception to the light of the gospel because every one of those dollars goes directly to funding missionaries on the field. So more dollars will be available. And fourth, and most important of all, ladies and gentlemen, more people will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. That's why I'm asking you to consider that this year. has nothing to do with what you give to Cross Culture Church, but to each month, as a side note on your check or a separate check or whatever, however work that out, to, give, to indicate I'm giving $12 a month to the International Mission offering, to 12-12-12 we've got to, folks. We've got to say more. We've got to do more. We've got to go more. And we've got to give more. Because the spiritual darkness is heavy on this world and the end is drawing near. Uh, just Kara Webb told Cindy and I just this past week about being in a grocery store somewhere right, right around here. And there was a guy in there with a, a, a t-shirt on. that on the front of it, it said, I am God. And on the back, it said, you are God. Kara said that wasn't even the weird part. The weird part was is that God kept picking a shirt up and rubbing lotion, different kinds of lotion from the store on his stomach. I guess God has dry skin. Jesus said, in the last days, many will cl- come claiming they are the Christ. Well, ladies and gentlemen, they're here. They're here. And they are deceiving billions Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The only access to the Father is through me. That's the light of the gospel. You and I have to penetrate the darkness with it.
0: Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder that those of us who call Jesus our Savior and Lord have an obligation to be used by God to take the light of the gospel into the darkness of spiritual deception. As we heard Pastor Clay say today... The spiritual forces of darkness aren't resting, and you and I dare not. We simply have to care enough to do something. The closer we draw to the end, the more we have to work to draw men and women to the cross. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross-Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross-Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. i not